Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking with an author who's a rare combination of a practitioner and researcher. His name's Emmanuel Prince. He's the author of Movement Catalyst, Profile of an Apostolic Leader. Moments in in my life, and uh, my my third son had uh, a, a critical condition and needed an organ transplant, and that basically ended field ministry um, overnight. He needed healthcare at top world class level, and what was available in Sudan was this. So that was something I never planned. My heart, you know, is still there in these villages. Um, the other development was um, that um, a story of a, of a movement breakthrough spread, not widely, but began to spread. And so others asked me um, to uh, mentor them who were also uh, desiring to start a movement. Um, and uh, uh, my mission organization back then also um asked me if I could do this. Now, um, I take mentoring very seriously, and I try to have, um, for most of the time, a mentoring conversation with people every other week. Um, In theory, that didn't always happen, but that was the aspiration. And still, you know, every time I was wrestling with, um, well, what do we spend the time on? Here is this you know, a man of God, wholeheartedly committing, committed, desiring movement. And, and, and what do I help him work through? How do I help him grow? In what areas do I help him grow? There is never enough time. <laughs> um, so what, what are those competencies, those skills that he or she needs to acquire in order to see movement in their context? Uh, it was a question I was wrestling with constantly. Um, then I started thinking about tr- developing training. And, I mean, you have done training, uh, Steve. You, you know, there is only so much time and there is so much you want to impart. What is it that you want to focus on? And so that set me on a journey, first of informal conversations um, and then of more serious study and I wanted to know what are those uh, competencies and other qualities that uh, distinguish movement catalysts from from others I said to to the Lord Lord I have no interest in a PhD I have no interest in spending a lot of time studying and researching so I only do this if you're going to use this one day use this so that aspiring a movement catalyst could be screened and identified and it would inform the training of movement catalyst and their mentoring and give us greater clarity who is the person one has to grow into in order to be got be used by god um, to catalyze a movement i conducted this uh, this research um, uh, literature research initially and provided a synthesis 
of basically what are those that are most frequently mentioned by the studies. And based on that, then I developed my own survey um, investigating in uh, about 35 that I identified from the literature um, and um, taking that to those who had started a movement um, with more than 100 churches, uh, more than a thousand believers uh, that has reproduced to the third generation. I used the initial survey and then analyzed it um, after I'd gotten uh, all the responses and fed that information back to the participants. So they saw what their peers had answered and invited them further feedback, synthesized that for them, gave that back to them and asked them again to comment and, and verify what I said. So there are certain qualities that I found every catalyst has in common. I was stunned myself how clear the data was, how clear the evidence was. So there are 11 qualities that every single catalyst that participated in the study exhibits in their own words consistently. After I found these 11, just to demonstrate how clear it is, I went back to all of them and said, this is what I have found. Can you confirm that the following quality a competency, and here's a definition of it, is true for you, and this is what you practice consistently. And, and if not, can you say which aspect of this you do not practice consistently? And 11 were verified uh, this way. You asked what they are? Um, they are uh, things like hunger for God. Uh, let me dwell maybe for a moment on this, because this is the one that was most strongly verified. What I found, and I also then found in interviews I conducted uh, with these people, is they're more hungry for the person of God than they are for movements. And that is, I believe, essential. I mean, these people are... They, they want a movement at any any cost, and they, they pray for it, they labor for it, they give their lives for it, no doubt. However, there's one thing they want more, and that is intimacy with God. That is to love God, to listen to his, to his voice, to be close to him. Um, I have had a lot of conversations since with practitioners, uh, um, and I found this is probably a key finding already. Um, how many people do we have who love ministry more than they love God or who desire fruit in their ministry more strongly than they desire the intimacy with God? And the Bible calls this idolatry. Um, so in other words, God uses people <laughs> is what the data suggests that are so hungry for him above all things that God grants them a deep and personal relationship with himself and kind of he blesses them with a movement on the side. The second uh, quality that all of them exhibit is expectant faith. Um, I'll illustrate here from my own story. I had that. It's not something we can manufacture. Uh, we have expectant faith that we base on revelation that God has given. 
So in, in my case, uh, four years before I even landed in Sudan, I asked God to give me, um, uh, uh, give me a revelation of what he intended to do through my life. So uh, I was reading in Acts chapter 17, where Paul is in Corinth, and you know the story, and there is a little, some fruit and there is post-persecution. And Paul, uh, God basically speaks to, to Paul in a dream and says, um, carry on, they will not harm you. And I have a great many people in this in this city which wasn't realized at that point. That was prophetic. So Paul stays in Corinth longer than in most other places until this is realized. So I said as a young man, you know, Father, if, if you gave this kind of blank check to the super apostle Paul, I needed so much more than he. Could you give me something similar? And believe it or not, that very night, a few hours after I prayed this prayer, God gave me a dream, and he showed me the people group, the region of Sudan um, that I've told about, told you about, and he showed me that he's going to do a significant, significant work in that part. And that was at a time when there were not even a handful known believers in, in this entire stretch of land. Now, you can imagine, I did have expectant faith. I, I didn't manufacture it. I didn't make it up. It was based on something that God had spoken. Now, not every single movement catalyst receives like a dream or a vision or a very clear prophecy. Some build their faith on certain scriptures. Hmm. Um, and um, I believe in charismatic revelation, but I also want to emphasize uh, there, it's not that this special revelation is is more um, uh, more valuable in any way, you know, as long as it's God speaking. And so some would say, God used this scripture to speak to me about how he's going to use me or how what he's going to do among this people group uh, where I'm ministering. But then that builds faith, that bolsters their faith to say, I'm going to pray for this to happen I'm going to pray this into being what God has shown me that he is going to do. And I'm going to persevere. I, I will not waver. I will not go back. I will not leave here. I will continue to love and minister and reach out uh, until, until this is realized. So expectant faith is, is another one. So a third quality that um, all the catalysts that participated in my study have in common is confidence. Now, many Christians have an ambivalent relationship with confidence, especially if it's about self-confidence. But at the end of the day, uh, we need to face the fact that catalysts used by God are confident people, very confident people. Now, um, I've asked myself that question, what is the confidence fed on? Well, I don't have data on that. But at the end of the day, they are confident. So. Um, I mean, you know, uh, picture myself, I'm still in my late 20s, um, I'm a young foreigner, um, and then I'm talking to all these senior leaders, you know, with, with gray long beards who have been established as, as societal leaders, I'm talking to rebel army commanders, I'm talking to religious leaders, yes, I, I, in all my shyness, apparently there was a level of confidence 
um, that that gave me the the um, the stamina um, uh, and the courage to do things the the, the, the things that I was doing. Yes. Uh, that catalysts feel confident in their spiritual gifts and in their skills, and they exhibit a sense of confidence. I think it's that interpersonal, that social dynamic is at play. You know, you have a conversation with someone and, and you can sense there, there's something that radiance. Is this a, a confident person or, or not? And if that's a confident person, aren't we more ready to listen to them, to what they have to say? That is what is at play. What the source of the confidence is, I don't have the data on that. Uh, I can only speculate or go back to them and ask them. And of course, they would say, you know, they built their confidence on their identity in Christ. They built their confidence on God's promises or God's uh, a tangible presence with them. They built their confidence on knowing they're in the will of God, things like this. Um, so this is um, something that came from personal conversations, from interviews. Um, so in other words, yes, we can say, and probably as Christians, we want to hasten to say this and know this. It isn't self-confidence in the terms of see how great I am. No, it is see, uh, let me put it this way. It's see how great I am holding my father's right. hand. Another quality that wasn't verified among every single catalyst, but still among more than 80% who participated in the study is inspiring personality. And that means there is a sense of natural authority that that radiates from them and that makes others want to be associated with them. Another one is a strong drive for responsibility. Um, so uh, movement catalysts are men and women who feel responsible for the people they serve and for engaging them with the good news. Um, and they are motivated by that strong sense of responsibility. Like they would say, God has given me these people, you know, or God has sent me to this people group to bring them into the kingdom. So they, they feel really a sense of responsibility for the people they are called to. And that is what motivates them. That's what drives them. That's what motivates them to overcome hardship and, and difficulties. Another trait is a boring one, <laughs> a dependability. Um, movement catalysts are apparently men and women who are reliable and trustworthy so that others can depend on them. Basically, they live among their teams and the partners as well as the people they're reaching out to, you know, you can count on this guy. If he says it, he will do it. If he promises, he will follow through. And that creates, as we know, trust, right? And that, in, in, in a way, enhances also the credibility of their, of their gospel message. Um, you asked me to illustrate this from my own uh, example. Um, you know, I was asking the father after breakthrough happened, really with a being puzzled, Father, why our team? Why me? Why my team? And I, I think I can say this. 
I sensed, he clearly said, you know, you have been faithful. You have been dependable. And I'm, I'm far from perfect in my, you know, faithfulness and dependability. But apparently this is, um, well, we know this, right? Doesn't he say, whoever is faithful with the five, I will give him five more. Whoever is faithful with the ten talents, I will entrust more cities to him. So I believe it's that kingdom principle of faithfulness over little, dependability with a limited sphere of the responsibility that makes God think, okay, I can trust more um, to that person. Next is a tough one, um, persistence. I had a conversation about this with the late Steve Smith, and he basically said, yes, I can see all of them. Um, I, I would say I would boil it down to three. It's expectant faith. It's then the ability to inspire others, and then it's persistence. <laughs> it's to pull through, to stick in and stay there until you see breakthrough. Persistence means um, that the catalysts uh, always have uh, challenges, um, and they, they are tenacious in spite of whatever challenges they face, and amidst all the difficulties, um, they simply don't quit. They simply don't give up. Um, I didn't emphasize this on this much as I related my own story, but, um, you know, we're in a civil war. Um, I took my young children into that war. We faced um, ambushed attacks, carjacks, two team members shot at. Uh, there was the constant government surveillance reality. Uh, are we going to be kicked out? You know, there were diseases uh, threatening or actually hitting family mammalia, uh, with cholera outbreak, um, the, just a normal malaria, typhoid that was part of the daily package, so to speak. You know, a lot of challenges. Um, and apparently, it does take persistence uh, to see a movement catalyst, uh, a movement catalyzed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so persistence is, is, a, is a quality that catalysts have in common, which is, I find, an encouragement, you know, to see, um, thinking of all those who have faith, who are laboring, who are probably even doing it well and right, and yet they don't see the breakthrough happen, to think others have been exactly there. However, you know, they, they, they pressed on. Uh, they did not quit. They did not go home. And then eventually uh, something happened. Um, I would take the next two together. They are confidence in the Holy Spirit and confidence in the Bible. Um, they, they go together. What does it mean? It means that uh, Ahmed, who came into the kingdom last night, and now I'm, you know, invite. I'm, I'm visiting him. I'm having breakfast with him. And I want to have an initial conversation with him, what lives in the kingdom and next steps mean. Well, confidence in the Holy Spirit means that I am confident that Ahmed has exactly the same Holy Spirit that lives in me. And the same Holy Spirit is perfectly capable of guiding, instructing, building up Ahmed. He doesn't need me. So that is the confidence that 
means I do not focus on I am the answer to all of Ahmed's questions. I am the resource for everything, but it's the Holy Spirit. Related to this, confidence in the Bible um, means, uh, so I started out the wrong way, you know, in the, in, the, in the town in our first experience. And I, MBBs had all sorts of questions and I had all sorts of answers. What, what does that create? They depend on me. Um, I learned that I need to um, tie them to the Bible. And so instead of giving them answers, I said, well, okay, so you're having this conflict with your brother about, you know, some financial dispute. Well, how about, you know, you go to Ephesians chapter four and you read that section and ask God to show you how what that means for this conflict with your brother. So it, it, it means that I have a confidence that the power of God is in the word of God to build up young baby believer Ahmed. Um, which I've, I've kind of implied this already, it informs and shapes the way we disciple. Um, so these two, confidence in the Spirit and confidence in the Bible, are significant elements of multiplication. Because if you have rapid you know, growth and, and lots of people into the kingdom, you cannot disciple everyone you know, uh, in, in, in all great detail. So I realized what I need to do is, is the main thing is to give them access to the Bible, to teach them simple interpretation questions you know um, like what does jesus do in this story what do we learn about jesus's heart through this is there a human example positive or negative um, a positive one we can emulate a negative one we avoid in this story and then how can we obey this today or this week these simple Bible interpretation question that allow Ahmed to read the Bible for himself or ideally with his family because he's in a, in a communal culture or with his home group or church um, and they find answers and they don't have to run to the teacher uh, with the questions they have got. So confidence in the Holy Spirit, confidence in the Bible, which very uh, strongly shapes how disciple making uh, takes place. Another one is that I found that movement catalysts are all very empowering people. Um, that means uh, practically they um, responsibility and with that authority, with that the freedom to make decisions, with that the freedom to make mistakes, is all given away freely. It's not hoarded in, in one, you know, overshadowing father figure uh, leader. Um, so effective catalysts, I found in the study, um, empower and enable locals, the local new believers, to be uh, the key players um, in the movement by putting the responsibility and the authority in their hands from the beginning. 
and and by then developing their gifts as they go. So, uh, in other words, now we have the the, the first, first 50 in the kingdom, and now we think, right, how can I empower them? So, um, I wish I could show you the picture. There's a picture here in my office, which illustrates this. Um, and this is the group of sheikhs sitting under a tree, and one is standing and 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 exhorting them and sharing his thoughts. Now, I love this picture so much because I am in the picture too, but I'm invisible because I sit down and I'm behind this man. So in other words, the catalyst is not in the background. Uh, well, he is part of it, but he is not the key figure. Um, it was his village, the sheikh's village. He was hosting the meeting. He was leading the meeting. And I'm invisible. Um, to me, this, and that's why I printed off this photograph and have it in my office till today. To me, this picture is what an empowering leader um, um, is like. So um, that is a key factor and again, movement equals multiplication. Why is this so essential? It means that leadership is multiplied out from the first hour. Uh, leadership is never a bottleneck with the catalyst or with one single leader, you know, but it's, it's, it's multiplied out from the beginning. And uh, uh, growth happens if you have pillars that you can build your, you know, your building on. And uh, the more leaders you have, uh, the more pillars you have got. Uh, what the study found is that all effective catalysts have the ability to influence the beliefs of the people they're working with. And that is to uh, challenge their assumptions and in a, in a dialogue uh, that is a safe atmosphere and yet you know, with strong influence from the, from the catalyst, shape their beliefs. Um, and that is an art, um, that is a skill, and that is something um, that needs to be honed. Um, but I have found to be, if, if you talk about the change process that happens in people's hearts and people's worldview and people's belief system to be a critical one. Um, it's a, a inspiring others' vision. So um, catalysts, it's a it, catalysts are team players. They're not lone rangers, and so there is a both end of God uses a particular person, and it hing, a lot hinges on the person of the catalyst. At the same time, God uses a body. So catalysts are people who articulate a compelling vision um, of the future. They basically share in a compelling way what God has shown them about. Uh, the future and they talk also enthusiastically about what needs to be done to get there because if you have only a vision you know without the action then you're a dreamer what does it take for us to move there what is our part um, to see a growing movement and then they express confidence here we have confidence again uh, that this will be accomplished um, in other words, they, their, their own confidence drops off on their team. The vision that God has given them is, is, is passed on to others who join that vision, um, and together um, they see movement. 
And that is something, well, I think leadership theory has talked a lot about, you know, uh, the visionary factor of a leader. Um, and it appears that uh, effective catalysts are particularly good at that. But the data makes it clear that the person of the catalyst is an essential element. And it needs to be considered more than the particular methodology, which has been the, the primary topic among movement thinkers in recent years. Um, I did examine what the methodologies are that these catalysts use. And uh, the finding is that there is not one right methodologies. You know, many use DMM, um, some um, use T4T, some use the four fields, um, and many of them actually use a hybrid where they say, you know, I learned some from DMM and then I picked some from T4T and then I applied it to my context. Um, so almost 90 of them, percent of them set out with a particular movement methodology, with a multiplicative ministry approach. Um, so that, that, that they do have in common. But apart from that, there is not one right method. However, as we have discussed now, uh, all these catalysts have certain traits and, and competencies in common. So again, when you wherever you see a movement, you may see varying methodologies, but you see a catalyst who has certain qualities in common with others. You see a certain type of catalyst. So um, this is the data saying this. This is not just my personal opinion. It seems that the person of the catalyst is an essential element. And that means it is something that needs to be emphasized much, much more in our discussions. I find in recent years, the, the, the movement discussion among, you know, missiologists and, and thought leaders has focused mostly on methodology, on how to. And I have come across many, discussed with many practitioners who have gone to these trainings and basically walked away with the impression, you know, oh, this is the great magic eight-step formula. If I follow that, I will see movement. Now, I believe that most of the trainers didn't have the attention to send that message. If you just follow my eight-step formula, then you will see movement. But that's what came across somehow. That's what practitioners walked away with. And they are disappointed. So um, one trainee of mine gave me a great image that, that illustrates this to me. Um, he's from India, and after he participated in a training, he, he suggested this to me. He said, you know, there is this often used analogy of the Holy Spirit is the wind, and if the wind doesn't blow, nothing happens. Um, uh, then there is the sailing boat, and, um, you know, um, we have to have our sails ready and, and tip-top in shape. That's the human responsibility. But that guy, um, Andrew was his name, said, well, what about the sailors? We haven't talked in these analogies about the person of the sailor or the sailing crew at all. Now, you know, you can have a strong wind mm -hmm. and, and you can have the best sails in the world, 
unless the crew is is top fit, unless the sailor knows how to read the wind and how to navigate the boats, and unless the sailor knows what are the tools I need to use when, in which way, nothing happens. And he said to me, this is what the, the point that you are making. This is the the, the, the missing piece and the significant missing piece of the picture that you're adding. So I think um, the findings should um, uh, jolt among movement thinkers and movement practitioners a paradigm shift that uh, emphasizes much more uh, the person of the catalyst. Um, so someone said, you know, the training needs to shift from a formulation of methods to the formation of catalysts or apply it to uh, uh, um, mentoring and coaching. We need to shift from resolution of problems, again, to the formation of the person of the catalyst. Um, I think it will give them a blueprint of the person they will want to grow into. And with that gives them clarity. So uh, we all know I need more maturity. I can develop, you know, in so many ways. Well, what do I focus my personal growth efforts on? What is it that I bring into the conversations with my mentor or my coach? So that clarity of I can take charge of the person I'm becoming. God has given that into my hand. It's not an infusion that's happening on me. It's not an importation that some teacher or trainer will bring unto me. It's, 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 it's me and God to develop the potential that he has placed into me. I hope that brings a great sense of confidence and in initiative. And what you find in the book is the blueprint of the person you will want to grow into. Um, we cannot manufacture movements, and that's the encouraging piece, but we can take charge of the person we're becoming. So that Thanks for listening. Visit movements.net to follow the links to get your copy to Movement Catalyst, Profile of an Apostolic Leader. You can also uh, follow up by listening to my earlier interview with Emmanuel about his work in Sudan. And you can also find links to the Movement Catalyst blog. This has been Steve Addison for the Movement Podcast.